Good evening, this is WOBC 91.5, Oberlin College and Community Radio. You are listening to The Weekly, a roundtable show uh, devoted to discussing current news and events happening in Oberlin. Tonight, we're pleased to have guests um, and student senators with us, um, and we'll be discussing sort of uh, a little bit about... um, the recent push to get a student uh, representative on the Board of Trustees, among other issues. Um, We're planning to get to that and uh, more in a second, but first we've got a couple of PSAs for you. So stay with us, and we'll have some good conversation in a moment. Coming events, September 27th through October 1st. Wednesday, September 27th, Song Swap, 7 p.m. in the Kendall Auditorium. Thursday the 28th, Punch Brothers, 8 p.m. in Finney Chapel, Korean Pop Night, 10 p.m. in the Sco. Friday the 29th, Potluck Supper and Roundtable Discussion, 6 p.m. at Peace Community Church. Saturday the 30th, Folks Playing Together, 7 p.m. in the Cat in the Cream Coffee House. Sunday, October 1st, English Country Dance, 7.15 p.m. in the Kendall Auditorium. Your event not mentioned? Tell us about it at wobc.org slash events. The Punch Brothers will be in Finney Chapel at 8 p.m. this Thursday the 28th. They have shared their virtuosic bluegrass with Oberlin since 2013 in their role as the inaugural artists in the Conservatory's American Roots Residency Program. This will be their first appearance in the Artist Recital Series and their first campus gig since mandolinist Chris Thiele became host of Public Radio's A Prairie Home. This Friday, the 29th, There will be a potluck supper and roundtable discussion at 6 p.m. in the Peace Community Church, 44 East Lorraine Street. Eli Kirshner, OC20, will present Tools for Having Vulnerable Conversations. Over a shared meal, there will be small group discussions about what kinds of hard conversations we want to see happen during the year. The event hopes to equip participants with guidelines for engaging in uncomfortable community conversations. For more information, call 440-774-3031. All are invited. Bring some food to share if you can. Handicapped access and parking are located behind the church. Alrighty, well thank you to WOBC for those PSAs, local news and announcements. Um, And now, welcome to the weekly uh, roundtable show, occurring Monday nights at 9, devoted to discussing current news and events in Oberlin. I'm your host, Johan Cavert, and we are very pleased to be trying this show out this semester. Um, It's sort of the first of its kind, a work in progress, Um, but last uh, week was our first show, went pretty well. Hope you got to tune in. Um, And each week we're going to discuss a couple of topics relating to Oberlin and current events. Um, given all the excellent journalists on campus, we're hoping to feature them um, and sort of continue discourse about uh, things that have been 
featured in Oberlin publications, conversations, things like that. Um, so we're going to open this forum to a discussion uh, with some lovely senators. Um, and before we go into introductions, I'm just going to say we would love to have feedback. This is a community conversation, so please feel free to give us a call. Um, you can do that at 440-775-8139. Um, and now I'd like to go around and do some introductions. Um, again, I said my name is Johan Cabert. I'm a second year, and I use he, him, his, uh, staff writer at the Review. Uh, I'm Daniel Marcus. I am the managing editor at the Oberlin Review. I'm a fourth year. I'm Cameron Dunbar. I'm a student senator. I'm vice chair this year, and I am in third year. My name is Josh Kohler. Um, I am a student senator. I'm a fourth year, and I use he, him, his. And I am Tobe Gamnisi. I'm a fourth year politics major. I use she, her, hers, and I am currently the chair of Senate. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, thank you all so much for coming. Um, as you can see, we have a crowd in the booth, um, so we're going to try to figure out how things go with that. Um, I think the first uh, issue that we're going to get into, um, probably one of the major topics, is uh, student reps on the Board of Trustees. But first, I wanted to say, um, since we have so many senators, is there anything else you guys want to get to, other important agenda items? I think just let us know what you want to know, Okay, and we'll take it from there. Sounds great. Um, well then, to start out, um, if you guys could uh, maybe sort of fill people in. I know a, a lot of students are um, pretty up to date with what's been going on, but that's not necessarily the case for everyone. So if you could just sort of give us a basic rundown of what the current situation is, that would be great. So um, in the sp spring of 2016, a group of some wonderful students decided that we needed to have a student rep on the board that was primarily chaired by Jeremy Pohl. I had just joined Student Senate and mainly hopped on this because it sounded like a good idea. I hadn't really thought enough about Oberlin's governance structures to have a strong opinion about it. But over time, it became so apparent to me just how significant it is that we have a student rep on the board. And that began a process that has been Senate's priority ever since. So we drafted a proposal to the board to have a student rep um, that was discussed at their June board meeting and voted on. And the response was for a number of reasons that could not be disclosed. They weren't ready at that point to have a student rep on the board. From that, we started engaging with the board as Senate more strategically surrounding this issue. So focusing um, the fora that the board holds on advocating for student representation. And we had a mini retreat with the board in their fall board meeting. So that's usually around October. It was around October then and it's October this year. And at that retreat, um, it became very apparent to us that they were not thinking about the significance of this in the same way that we were, mainly because we just thought it would be valuable for a student to be on the board of trustees because of the unique perspective that a student can provide. And they were focusing on the fiduciary responsibilities of the board and didn't think a student could offer much insight on that. And that was a sticking point on 
that we had to discuss more to get on the same page. So a working group was established. This is just like the brief history of this so that people can understand why this has been so important for us and why so much time is dedicated to it. But a working group was established um, of senators and to talk more about the roles of the two bodies of governance, the role of Senate for the trustee trustees to understand better and the role of the trustees for us to understand better. And the working group did end up establishing that there was a need for another retreat that would talk specifically about how the board makes decisions. It was very difficult ensuring that the working group could focus on student representation and the board because the board was very reluctant. And I think at that point, understandably so, because it's a very um, bureaucratic institution and it's very strict in its laws of bureaucracy. And we're asking for something that I think for a lot of people seemed supremely radical, even though to a lot of students it makes the most sense. But we had a mini retreat um, in the spring of this year. So that was March 6th with the board. Um, basically discussing how the board makes decisions so we could understand w how they come up with the, especially capital planning projects that we end up seeing because there was a lot of confusion and dissatisfaction among the student body about why we we're having a gym expansion when so many students were concerned about the size and also the distance of this gym health center. So it's just like if we only have so much money to do capital planning, why aren't we focusing on the things that students are more concerned about? And it seemed to me, and I may be wrong about this, and also I think a lot of athletes would, athletes would disagree with me, but it seemed that students were more concerned about the location of the student health center than they were about the size of the gym, although I think carpool had to be fixed some way. So the point of the retreats was for us to understand that this was basically a decision that have, was made a long time ago. And I understand that, but that also for me solidified the need for students to be on the board of trustees because the, often I feel like the board is very out of touch with the needs of not just students in terms of service provision, but also the needs of Oberlin as an institution going forward because they aren't currently here as students. And I feel like we are best positioned to appreciate the value of an Oberlin education while we're here in a different way than anyone else who's outside of this institution can be. So right now we have, a, we are in the middle of a negotiation so we have a proposal that was presented to the board and will be voted on in the October board meeting, which is October 6th this year. I think plenary is on the 8th, um, but we're currently working with the general counsel, who is Danica Vana and Chris Canavan, who is the chair of the board, to amend the proposal so that we hopefully get a yes. But I'm... <laughs> there's a lot about that, but I'm very confident that this will lead to something positive. Toby's a little yeah, Toby's a little more confident than I am. Can you can you maybe say why you're not so confident in that? Yeah, so it took me a while to buy uh kind of like 100% into the idea of student reps on the board, not because I didn't believe it was necessary, but because I didn't know how effective it would be what that sort of concept would look like as it manifests. It, it was very abstract at a point. I think now that I, I've come to understand what it would look like tangibly and in practice, 
with that, I've come to the understanding that I personally don't believe trustees are really interested in substantively engaging with students in that way. Um, we have our fora um, and a few meals that trustees have with students while they're in town, but those are not necessarily, they're not avenues in which students can have sus like substantive policy or institutional level thinking conversations. Um, and it's frustrating because we as students see it, like we as students in it realize what the board can gain from us and from having student input and I'm just not under like I'm just not under the impression that they have fully latched onto that idea or are, you know, believe in it. I think I actually don't disagree with that. I think one of the main challenges that I've realized with this is that the board sees allowing a student into its operation structures as a service to the students. And I think we are doing them a service by insisting on providing that perspective because it. I think it will improve everything about how um, governance works at Oberlin because I think Oberlin, I mean, students offer a very, very important and different perspective than everybody else. I know that the role of the class trustees is supposed to be in some ways to provide the student perspective and to the extent that they recently graduated from Oberlin, they can do that. But there's literally just no way that you could know what it's like to be currently a student unless you are literally physically here. Can we? I want to. I want to. I want to go to Josh for a sec. Josh for a second because we've talked a lot about, or it's we've we've sort of been beating around the the bush of of like how governance works on this campus, and I think myself included. I think most people don't really know how governance works on this campus. And I know Josh has been involved in this for quite a while. So I'm wondering if Josh or maybe all three of you can sort of run us through the basic governance structure and give us give us a better sense for how this all fits together. Uh, I'd love to. Um, so, yeah, there's obviously, you know, a couple tiers of governance at the school. You have student senate as um, as like a student branch but the real decision making comes at the board level and trickles down yeah let's even bring it out a little further from that so essentially there are if you look at Oberlin's process of shared governance you can really divide it into three categories there's faculty administration and the board and they all have different delegations um in well, they they all have different forms of designation and participation. So on the faculty end, they handle issues directly related to curriculum um, and hiring as it relates to tenure tracking and issues of like educational governance. They can provide feedback on other issues, but most of it, especially operationally wise, goes to the administration. So the administration handles... Uh, like I said, operations, non-faculty hiring, uh, oftentimes fundraising, creating the budget, looking at institutional continuity from uh, the the level of like being on campus and, and seeing these issues. And what the board does uh, is their job is to mainly protect Oberlin's brand and to make sure that we exist in perpetuity. So they handle issues of investment and fiscal management and capital planning, uh, and they hire and fire and essentially manage the president. 
And Great. also, um, according to the charter that basically established Oberlin College, the board has authority over how governance works in general, and it's the board authorizes the faculty to be able to be in charge of its own faculty governance and the administration to allocate the budget that the board approves. That's that's referred to as the Finney Compact, is that right? Um, the ability of the faculty to administer them, themselves is the Finney Compact, and that was established in 1835, um, for those of you who are interested in the history of it. And it's really interesting to think about and the development of that, especially um, understanding that when the Finney Compact was first established, there were seven faculty members on campus. And now we have a slightly larger faculty than that. Right. Do you think that has an impact on the governance process? Or, you know, is that is that a significant thing that it goes through the faculty? I mean, the faculty is responsible for... Uh, governance that relates to the faculty. So they are responsible for the curriculum for all the programs that are available to students for the concentrations for the majors and minors and things like that. They're responsible for um, deciding which department gets tenure and to in the role. Of, so the Educational Plans and Policies Committee, which is a committee th of general faculty, decides those things. And the College Faculty Council, which is the representative body of the faculty approves final tenure decisions. So to that extent, and to the extent that personnel decisions affect how Oberlin is as an institution and the values that um, it embodies, then the faculty, then it, it's very, very significant that the faculty is so deeply involved with governance, especially because I think um, when the Phoenix Compact was established, they probably were not envisioning having a faculty of the size that we have today because that the size that we have necessitates its own bureaucratic structure that wasn't first necessary when we had the Phoenicites. But I think the idea of shared governance is still equally significant, if not more, because of the size of Oberlin now. I just feel like students were supposed to be factored into that somehow and nobody has done that or advocated for it enough until now because the students are seen primarily as consumers of the products of the education that Oberlin provides and in that way we are not involved in governance so we're not in, even with the idea of shared governance students have no real role in that so when you think about student senate and that as the legitimate and democratic representative of the student body student senate is authorized through general faculty so like when we have to, if we want to amend our our constitution for example that has to go through the student body but it also has to be approved through the general faculty because we are authorized by the general faculty so that we only exist as a branch of one of the main branches um of governance that exist yeah i think that's a great overview that really helped clarify sort of how um things work for me at least so thank you um, I guess I was wondering um, if 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 the board sort of agrees to this policy, um, what how would it ideally work? What would uh, a student representative get to do? Um, is that sort of still up in the air? Or? Yeah, unfortunately, that's still up in the air, and I know that part of what we've been laboring so hard to demonstrate and. Uh, I think unfairly so to the board has been to show that students have the capacity to understand the board's fiduciary responsibilities. Part of that is um, loyalty to 
like fidelity to con- to confidentiality and because this is still in the negotiation process and the proposal that will ultimately be voted on in October has not been um, finalized by the trustee student task force i cannot share what the student would do partly because i don't know there are a few ideas that we're toying with that would serve very very different roles but um the main thing which may not be useful really to share is that that student whoever they are or it is will serve to inform the board on the student perspective on issues such as capital planning and budgeting and whatever else the board is authorizing the students to talk about. Yeah, I think part of the issue is that for so long, uh, the board has really seen students as like the enemies or as adversaries. But at the end of the day, we are not adversaries. We are equally invested in this institution. Um, And I think the board really needs to start thinking of us as competent individuals who are ready and able to help construct a better student experience and a better future for Oberlin. I like to phrase it as, we are the solution, because, you know, based off of our board structure, our board is 90, okay, this is an arbitrary statistic, but it's, it's mainly, um, it's, it's overwhelmingly alumni. Um, there are only a few exceptions to that. So when you think about it, today's students are tomorrow's trustees. Do you, do you think that, because you, you were mentioning that you don't think that students are really adversaries and I guess I want to push you a little bit on that because I feel like maybe students don't have to be adversaries but on some level we are forced to be that's how I feel about it because I feel like you know the you know prospies sleep in our dorm rooms and they talk to us about how we're feeling about things and if we're frustrated then we're going to be voicing those frustrations um, to them and to the wider world. And so on some level, while we don't necessarily mean to be their enemy, we, we can sort of make things hard for them if they f- force our hand. Does that, does that feel right to you? I mean, I, I totally understand that. Right. And students, this is, I don't know, it's common knowledge that students lack confidence in the governance structures of Oberlin, even when whether or not they understand that is quite frankly irrelevant. But whatever it is and whatever people conceive of Oberlin's governance structures to be, they they lack confidence in that. And because of that, we express that lack of confidence in whatever way we're given. And when we are shut out of the room, where it would be appropriate and productive to share um, our dissatisfactions, I feel like we're we are put in an adversarial position. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I just feel like they're productive ways of um, expressing. And yeah. Danielle, I want to ask, what did you mean by you say, or when you said that sometimes we can make their job harder? Sorry, can you repeat that? Yeah, I want to know what you meant when you said sometimes we can make their job harder. Well, I I think um, in the past, so I, I guess I'm sort of specifically thinking of the email that was sent out by Chris Canavan about the budgetary issues and how in part, not totally, but in part, those were due to lower than expected um, enrollment returns um, and enrollment in general. And so I'm thinking of that as sort of in the context of, well, you know, if students are 
making a big fuss like they pro like the protests that happened with Asuka last spring over the financial aid changes during All Roads Weekend. Those things feel to me like they could impact enrollment, which impacts our finances, which is the board's concern. So right. that that feels like something to me. And I'm also I'm also sort of thinking of like when students here. I don't know why this happens, but it seems to happen very frequently when students here get animated about something or um, start protesting, the wider media seems to pick up on it, um, which almost always, in, in from what I've seen, makes Oberlin look bad as opposed to good. Um, yeah. That's what I'm thinking of. No, I definitely see what you, what you mean, especially from a PR standpoint. And I, I always like to think about it as this. We're equally invested in, or we, we are just as invested in Oberlin's reputation, whether we believe it or buy into this idea or not, as the trustees are. They are partially responsible for managing what the brand of Oberlin is, what an Oberlin degree means, what Oberlin means to the outside world. But similarly, sometimes when we, when we do attacks on that, it's not just affecting them, but it's also affecting us because we are essentially Degrading attacking... the value of our degree. Yeah, and in many ways, and... and by trying to damage Oberlin's reputation, and I'm not even going to put a value judgment on whether we should or should not be doing this, we are, to some degree, making it more difficult for ourselves in the future. Or, um, we are, we are, we are equal parts in wanting to maintain what an Oberlin degree means and whatever that is. Yeah, and I also I do want to add to that that I think pressure to the administration in whatever form, um, whether that be protests or usually it's protests, but putting up banners, refusing to do things, refusing to engage with certain practices, it can be a very, very powerful political tool that students can use um, to advocate for issues. I do think we devalue the meaning of protests if we use it frivolously without thinking about whether or not the action that we're taking um, equals, like, is necessitated by the size of the goal we're trying to achieve. But I do, I, I just think we need to use um, protests more tactfully. I don't think there are enough of them. And the the ones that are here could be done a lot, used a lot more effectively so like i'm not really interested in damaging the reputation of the institution as a political tool to achieve whatever it is that i want to achieve having a student rep on the board having more access to financial to um resources or whatever it is i do want the board to know that we can make their lives harder by using by exposing the things that are counter to the narrative that Oberlin likes to put of itself. Like, I'm just thinking um, one thing, for example, our commitment to um, financial uh, diversity, income, in income diversity. Our, as of a few years ago, I think 2014, the median income here was $178,000. That's a ridiculous statistic. That is absurd. Even accounting for, I mean, I, I'm not phased by the fact that we have this ridiculously huge sticker price because we also have a very, very big discount rate. So very few, 40%. right? So very few students actually pay the full. Now, what's close to seventy thousand dollars? So like, I don't care how big the sticker price is. I do care how much. 
the out-of-color person. Right. And also how diverse the student body is regarding class. And I feel like we're not that diverse. But instead of talking about the constant rise in tuition, which is a legitimate problem, I feel like we should be talking about the fact that the median income here is $178,000 because that's nowhere near representative of what the median income in America is. And I won't even start talking, comparing comparing that to the world. So like for things like that, if we blast that out, if we're displaying $178,000, that's something that I feel like somebody would respond to, but also in a meaningful way that doesn't damage the reputation of the institution. It forces us to be introspective about what we think we're trying to achieve and whether we're doing enough towards that goal. And this is something that, you know, quote unquote, the outside world really cares about. I know there was just a couple of weeks ago, a New York Times reporter who actually reached out to Student Senate with questions probing to understand our like socioeconomic diversity or, you know, from their framework, lack thereof. But when you think about this, this is really an issue of the board and, you know, not to, to place the blame, but I'm going to do it. The, the the board's fault. The board has a, a fiscal responsibility, a fiduciary responsibility to Oberlin to, main, to make sure that, you know, we are financially stable. But we have come to a point where our financial model needs revenue. Like, any financial model needs revenue, right? But we are so revenue-dependent, uh, specifically we're so tuition-dependent or tuition-dependent for revenue that we have to Essentially, to to balance out the lower income students we have, we have to bring in higher amounts of people who can just pay more um, to sustain our operating costs. Uh, and that that's bad not only for our, our socioeconomic diversity, but in times like this when enrollment uh, and specifically retention falls below our estimates, we are in such a crisis because, you know, we we are so dependent on our tuition draw. And that, that that's complicated because it has a lot to do with how much we draw from our endowment and what is our endowment, not, you know, in totality, but what is our endowment per student and how we can balance these different numbers and figures to, to create a sustainable plan. But I think one thing that the board doesn't realize is that we're aware of these things and we know uh, a lot about how it operates and we can help be a part of the process and help them to construct better decisions and honestly i feel like if anybody doesn't see how uh retention and enrollment are student issues and direct i mean where where students can affect that more than anybody else then i really feel like they aren't thinking creatively and effectively enough about these issues because i mean i came here because i had committed to oblin very very early if I hadn't committed to Oberlin by the time I visited as a prospect, I wouldn't have come to Oberlin because of students. But also, students can be the reason why other students come here. And students can be the reason why students who otherwise would leave stay here. So there's just our governance structures in general. So not just the board, but also the administration and the faculty undermine just how much influence we all have on each other and on prospective students. And I know that having reaching our targets with retention and enrollment is not going to solve the structural deficit, which is a bigger problem. But it is something that is avoidable in future and students should be a part of those discussions, which is another reason why I feel like we should have a student rep on the board, because this is a board issue. 
Yeah, no, I, I think those are all really valid points, and I'm, I'm glad you guys brought them up. Um, we're just going to take a, a brief break here and play another PSA, um, and then we'll get back to some of the issues that we've been uh, having a, a great conversation about. Um, but just a reminder, this is WOBC 91.5 FM, Oberlin College and Community Radio. Um, if you have been listening and, and have comments you'd like to share, please do. Um, you can give us a call at 440-775-8139, and we'll be back um, in a couple minutes. You're listening to WOBC News, broadcasting from Oberlin, Ohio, every even hour, every weekday. This is Olive Sherman with WOBC News. As part of Oberlin's Neurodiversity Week, on Friday, April 21st, psychologist and academic Ellen Sachs gave a Skype talk in Die Lecture Hall entitled My Journey Through Madness. Sachs is an associate dean and Oren B. Evans professor of law, psychology, and psychiatry and the behavioral sciences at USC Law School, an expert in mental health and MacArthur Fellowship winner. She lives with schizophrenia and has written about her experience in her autobiography titled The Center Cannot Hold. Her talk was part lecture and part readings from this autobiography. Sachs received a BA from Vanderbilt University, an MLit from the University of Oxford, a JD from Yale Law School, as well as a PhD in psychoanalysis from Yale. In her talk, Sachs discussed her experience with schizophrenia and explained how she was able to find the treatment she needed to make the disease manageable. She was hospitalized three times throughout her college and graduate studies experience. After graduation, she found that the best treatment for her involved a combination of intense psychoanalytic therapy and medication for her schizophrenic delusion. I began my first work with a psychoanalyst at Oxford, and it was difficult, painful work. What I noticed from my first experience with intense clock therapy was two things. First, my analyst was hugely helpful at diffusing a sense of shame that went along with the thoughts I was having. My thoughts were violent and deeply disturbing about myself and other people. My analyst, Mrs. Jones, was able to tolerate everything. It's difficult for me adequately to convey how helpful it was for me to have someone listen, not judge, and not threaten to put me in the hospital or call the police, as might have happened in the U.S. Shame is a powerful component in a psychiatric illness. We understand the shame that comes when a person in the aging process soils for himself. We see it, smell it, we feel the shame. Often for individuals with a psychotic illness, the shame is every bit as real and every bit as intense, but it's invisible to other people. Second, I noticed that as I felt more related to my analyst, Mrs. Jones, I began to make friends and found it easier to do my schoolwork again. Now, I realized that someone could object by questioning the direction of the causal arrows here. Fair enough. My point is that as I became able to share my internal experience, as I became able to relate to someone without shame, my ability to interact with the world around me got much better. 
For more information on Ellen Sachs, you can watch her TED Talk from 2012 or read one of her four published books, The Center Cannot Hold, Refusing Care, Interpreting Interpretation, and Jekyll on Trial. Thank you for listening to WBC News, and that's all for now. Enjoy your day. All right, um, we are back. Again, you are listening to WOBC 91.5 FM, Oberlin College and Community Radio. Please give us a call if you have questions, comments, concerns, anything. Um, Your student senators are here, um, and we are discussing uh, a wide range of issues, but we're going to narrow it back back sort of to student reps on the board. Um, And, you know, that's, that's sort of what we've been talking about, but if we could really focus in um, and and uh, if you guys could give me sort of some some hypotheticals, what what the ideal situation is from um, this upcoming board vote, um, what is most likely to happen, if you have ideas about that, um, if you don't, that's fine too. I think uh, because we are still literally in the drafting process of the proposal, I can't really say what um, the I know the ideal process would be the approval of whatever proposal we present <laughs> to the board. <laughs> I can't say what the proposal is, partly because um, I had to sign an NDA, but also because we haven't decided on the proposal. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, sorry. Sorry for the question there. Um, <laughs> you but- should ask, because I mean, I think part of transparency is explaining why you can't share information, even if you can't share it and not just saying for a number of reasons that are not named. Can I just follow up on that? Because I think this is one thing that for me, because I've done some writing about this and a lot of interviews and like gathering information from people, I think one thing that still strikes me as a, as a point of tension, um, which you sort of alluded to, is the issue of um, how do you balance um, the accountability factor, which I think students right. want, with um, the whole issue of like being confidential and and sort of following your legally obligated duties that you have how do you balance that because for me like when i think like i want a student on the board of trustees i want that because i want to be able to go to that person and know who they are and say hey this is a concern that i have what's going on how do we fix it that type of that type of thing i think you hit it really well part of what our issue uh, has been and will probably continue to be is defining what exactly the role of the student rep on the board will be and why. So from my understanding and what I think is the most ideal view is that we would have a student rep to be able to influence and share and give context to the board when when they make important decisions. Some folks are of another ideology that, that should kind of work two ways and that the student rep should be able to give opinion, but should also be able to bring things back. And it's it's a strange contrast because the board has actually moved a little bit over the last few years from a standpoint of individual board members kind of reporting uh, back to individual constituencies. And now they're more under a model where, you know, only the chair speaks for the board and is able to give uh, official or really any opinion on what the board's stance is on an issue. I I mean, I think there's a a very fine line and that's often crossed or just stayed too far away from between like um, maintaining confidentiality, which I think is a valuable thing and is needed on issues where there are 
actually legal liabilities, but also being too closed off and lacking transparency. I think like in a case like this, so I I mean, it's, it's a context by context situation, but like, I'm just thinking about the presidential search committee, for example, that was a very, very closed process. And I was personally frustrated by that. And like the students on the committee know that I pushed them a lot on that, even while understanding what their responsibilities were on, um, confidentiality because i think even when you can't always share information while a committee is deliberating i think you can share um procedure i think you can solicit information from the public so that at the different stages of your decision making the public is involved even if information can only go in a unilateral direction and so i think the meaning of that with a student on the board would be, I mean, they probably would not be able to share if a board is deciding whether or not to, I mean, we probably wouldn't be on a committee that decides um, personnel decisions, for example, whether so who gets promoted or who gets tenure, which is, that's decided by the faculty, but um, ultimately approved by the board. We wouldn't, we probably wouldn't be in rooms that decide that. But if we were, it wouldn't be appropriate for students to come back and say, oh, we're deciding between this professor in Africana studies and this professor in Jewish studies. Because uh, that's, I, I mean, even if not, even if it weren't illegal, which I think it is, it would just be very highly inappropriate and I think somewhat uh, betraying the trust of people whose in information you are entrusted with. So I don't really know how to answer your question very directly, but I think you can... You can always explain, I think transparency requires that you always explain all that you can explain. And there should be, if information has to be protected, there have to be very good reasons why that information has to be protected. And those reasons for the protection of information should never ever be confident too, because then that doesn't make sense. Right. I don't even think there is a definitive answer, is there? I mean, I don't think so. Uh, yeah, I think when you're sort of considering this um, policy proposal, it's important to consider what other schools have done. Um, are you guys aware of um, how other similar institutions have, have dealt with this issue? Yeah, that's a really, really good question, because it's something that we considered very seriously when you started on this process. I think initially we thought, and some um, we were an anomaly like small liberal arts colleges with representation on the board were an anomaly um and after doing more research i'm coming to the conclusion that that's not necessarily true students with a voting schools with a voting student trustee are very very rare i the only one i know that's of a comparable size and both with number of students and endowment and sort of operation is Colorado College. So they have a student who sits on, gets to choose which committees they want to sit on in the same way that a regular trustee would. And they get to sit in all the plenary and executive session and they vote. Um, and I don't know how they report back to the students, like what, how the board decides what information can go back to students. But I know that there are minutes that the student trustee can share with the student body. That's very rare and also super, super radical. Like, I think that would be cool, but also I think Oberlin is still way too legally conservative for 
a proposal like that at this point. I'm hoping that in future that's something we can start to be able to imagine. But right now we're not quite there yet, which is unfortunate, but it's it's the reality. What a lot of schools have, schools like um, Earlham College, uh, Pomona, um, I don't know, but like a random lot of other schools have students who sit on certain committees and get to participate in the discussions that those committees have even when they don't get to vote. So in the same way that our faculty get to sit on certain committees, student, various student members would sit on those committees. And it's often done through the form of student government that those schools have. So like certain officer positions like the chair of the student senate or the vice chair or something will sit on certain committees as ex officio. Um, but a lot of schools have some sort of student representation to the board and are able to influence, I guess, in that way to the to the capacity that they to the extent that they're able to participate in discussions, the decisions that the board makes. We've talked a lot about um, sort of this the one specific thing of putting a student on the board of trustees in some form as a way to increase accountability, as a way to make students feel better about the governance process, especially now that we are aware of the fact that there is a large structural deficit that's going to have to be resolved in the next 10 years. Um, But I'm wondering, you know, because that is just one thing which would go a great, it would do a great deal to, I think, make students feel better. But I'm wondering if you think there are other ways that, you know, in addition, because I think myself personally, I would love to see some kind of student representative on the board. Um, But in addition to that, do you think that there are other important things that the board or the administration or the faculty councils could be doing to help students feel like there's more accountability from those groups? Oh, of course. Of course. I think... I mean, I was personally disappointed with how long this process has taken. I didn't. I think I underestimated how um, protective over its operations the board was, which is why this is taking so long, and that's why this has been sort of one of the main focuses of of Senate. But there's so many other. This is only one way of ensuring um, greater participation of students in. Um, governance at Oberlin. I think we need something like a central budgeting committee that will include like different constituencies on campus of OBs, so both alumni, students, and um, various parts of the of professional staff in the administration and not in the administration, so that people can be able to participate even before decisions are made, so that we're not always reactionary to um, changes that happen on campus, especially changes that uh, have to do with budget cuts, which I think with the structural deficit and, and the retention and enrollment uh, problem that we have right now seem almost inevitable to me. So so that we're not reacting negatively, or even if we will be reacting neg- negatively, we can offer feedback on what the administration considers even before decisions are, are made and policies are established. Right. One thing that I I talked about a little bit in the Senate column last week that I wrote for the review uh, is the need for for buy-in and to be a part of the process. So there are a lot of decisions that will have to be made in the coming months and years that people will not be happy with. 
And I, I think that's something we can all agree in, that nobody is going to be pleased by everything that happens. But some of these, these are decisions that will have to be made so that, you know, we can survive as an institution. Instead of, and there are some decisions that I, I just wholly disagree with, but I think that there are many that can be made that can actually be well received from various parts of the community if we have a chance to participate in the process. Uh, and if we have a chance or if, if we're given or take or, you know, bring, as I put, a seat at the table next week or a, a seat at the table in general, some of the the. I don't know. It it just seems to me that there's there is a benefit to being part of the process because I think you yield better results in general. Uh you yield better feedback because people have been able to participate and can see where their participation either mattered or didn't matter. One thing I'll say to add on to this is we are in a an interesting point at Oberlin because we do have a new president and a new administration and she does need time to show us how she's going to go about things. And so one thing that I think, you know, me and Toby can both attest to is the fact that she's very quick on response. Um, and she's very interested in addressing issues head on and not keeping people yeah. kind of just waiting in the water in that regard. Right. And I mean, I can't talk to her competence in um, drafting policy because I just haven't seen that even though I trust that there was a good reason why she was chosen as our new president. But President Ambar seems, has demonstrated the time that she's been here to be a very, very honest communicator of both her processes and also thinking even before getting to decisions. And I think that's something that's fundamental to the improvement of our governance at Oberlin. And I also think that's an, an interesting um, opportunity for students to enter governance in the say in some of the ways that we're imagining like maybe through the establishment of a central budgeting committee or if there's going to be a review of the strategic plan that will tie certain goals to certain budgetary means for students to be intricate to be like intimately involved with that process or even imagining other things that we haven't thought of before like having a student a student sit uh, on the college faculty council, which is something that students don't get to do currently, like all, I think all of the, there's an opportunity for all of those things to happen, and those are just as equally necessary for us to imagine as having a student rep on the board. I'm I'm curious. Um, has has student senate had sort of um, access to President Ambar? Has there been like an opportunity to build a relationship with her and sort of see where where her stance on uh, policy is yet? Yeah. So the Monday after our our first Sunday plenary, President Ambar actually invited us uh, over to her residence to uh, both introduce herself and to offer us an an opportunity. Uh, to introduce ourselves to her and to talk a little bit about what our priorities were for the year um, and just to, to get a grasp on how she plans to govern. Since then, we haven't had any full group uh, engagement with her, but she has expressed interest in finding some ways to uh, codify Senate and thus student input in her decision-making. So we're, we're looking now at uh, finding some sort of monthly policy-related gathering for Student Senate uh, herself and maybe even other senior staff members too to talk about some of the uh, issues facing campus and some of the decisions she'll be making. Outside of that, um, she's been receptive to meeting with Senate leadership uh, individually in a variety of ways uh, just to, to have those more uh, intimate conversations but to 
to have that channel for honesty as well. So uh, she she has expressed a lot of interest, actually, in engaging with students writ large in many ways, but also, you know, seeing what Synod is about. Yeah, um, we were talking last week sort of about um, her decision to hold office hours, which I think is another way um, that's that's you know provides good access to students. Are there are there other things that you've seen um, ways that students can get involved on this issue or making their voice heard? Yeah, um, do you mean specifically like just perhaps yeah. like ways for students to have access to her? Um, yeah, I mean President Ambar also um, I think the the board board rep issue. Um. Mm. Honestly, we haven't been able to discuss the board rep issue with her in depth. I mean, I, I think Toby may have some more comments on that. Yeah, that that is true. We haven't, and also, um, I don't know that. I don't. I, I mean, I don't want to assume what her response might be, but I also think she might be waiting to see what the board thinks about this before. Um, uh, making her decision about it because I think she's open to the idea of it uh, to the extent that it would improve governance at Oberlin, at least information that uh, leaders have before they make decisions. I also think she actually wants the board to decide this on their own. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's, it's interesting when you think about it because the president has a unique relationship to the board. The board is who can hire, fire, and essentially manage the president. So we'll be interested in seeing, you know, what her relationship to the board is and how, you know, we can leverage and use that to advance student interests. Cool. Well, we're almost out of time, which is a real bummer because I'm sure that there is a lot more to be said about um, this topic. And I'm sure that Johan and I will be coming back to it in future weeks as sort of a touchstone and a theme throughout the semester. Um, we're but, always excited to talk about oh, this. Oh, good. Okay. So you can invite awesome. us in future. And also, yeah, come to plenary and send it office hours, which are Mondays um, to Thursdays, 9 to 10. When is plenary? Plenary is Sundays 7 to 9.30 in Wilder, 2.15. We really, really welcome people. We're also hoping to put together some some more uh, expansive outreach programs for Senate as well. So having a Meet the Senators night um, and, and sort of restructuring the way we interact with various campus groups to make sure that we are garnering uh, the important feedback and input we need from them. So there will be a lot coming out in the future regarding how students... Uh, can can interact better with Senate. A lot of that comes out in our weekly email, which we implore people to read. Um, they have pretty pictures now. They're worth your time, I promise. That the the pictures thing is really important. I would I have to say, as a reader of Senate emails, that is really important to me. Um, before we let you guys go, I want to um, ask about sort of Senate's broader aspirations for this semester and the year as a whole, because we've talked a lot about sort of this one key issue that is really like defining both for you all and for, I think, students as a whole. But I, I would love to know what other things are on your radar as uh, student senators that you think are important to work on and that you're going to be... Um... Right, so we can kind of channel student senate's priorities for this semester in three different categories. One of them is increased student engagement. Uh, another is reforming our communication efforts so that 
people can better understand what Senate does, but so we can better understand what people need Senate to do. And the last one is reforming our bylaws so that they better reflect the processes that we need to actually get things done. And also they reflect how students are conceiving of student senates at this time. Yeah. Because they're a little outdated. They're, they're outdated. And actually, this weekend, we just had our Senate retreat, uh, which was a two-day you know, affair from... 10 to 8 on Saturday from, and also, you know, 1 to 6 on Sunday. And we, we had a good opportunity to look at Senate's kind of long-term standing uh, and vision and mission. And so uh, we are in a, a, a pivotal time for Senate to both uh, set in stone who we are and what we are, you know, meant to do and also how we will engage with this new administration. So that's also on our priority list. I think one of the things that Senate has had a, a challenge with in the past, and to varying degrees depending on who was on Senate at the time, was that each time there's a new Senate, which is literally every semester because there's so much turnover, everything starts again from scratch because there's not very good continuity between um, one Senate to another. So that's another one of the things that uh, we're focusing on. Which is, I mean, to put it bluntly, it's really just improving our structure, but I feel like that will have... Um, tremendous impacts on Senate's ability to advocate for students because if we don't have to start from scratch each, each time with whatever uh, policies we're trying to advance at the time and even s simple things like providing meals over breaks or ensuring that students have access to transportation and students know about resources like the um, SSIF or uh, understand what they can request from the administration and what they can't. Even basic things like that, um, improving our structures will ensure that the learning curve for each Senate is shorter so that people can actually get to work a lot earlier in the semester. Well, that is great. You have been listening to The Weekly. That is all the time we have this week. Um, your host is... I'm Johan Cabert. Thank you so much for listening, um, and thank you to both of our guests. Um, it was thank a real honor. Thank you for honor. having us. Oh, yes. Okay. Anytime. Please come back. Um, but, yeah, it, it was a real honor to speak with both of you, um, learn a lot about current uh, issues, um, and thanks for all the work you do on Student Senate. It's been, um, clearly, there's a lot going on. And, and My pleasure. Yes. <laughs> thank you so much. Um, we're about out of time, um, but thank you to everyone who tuned in as well. Um, we're hoping to cover more issues in the future if you have ideas um, that you want discussed um, or if you would like to give us a call um, in future weeks and contribute your opinion that would be much appreciated um, but for this week uh, we have run out of time so again thank you so much um, you have been listening to the weekly and we're going to play some Solange um, a seat at the table for our outro so uh, have a good night everybody and a good week Sleep at night, falling you.